This is ScreenBeam's Collaborative Tech Talks, discussing collaboration and better communication in the places where we learn the most. Welcome to MarketScale Software and Technology. I'm your host, Sean Feed. You know, I can remember very clearly the day I made the decision to stop having a landline for a home phone and do everything from my cell phone. I can remember it very clearly, and it seemed like a simple yet really big deal. Industries in the United States have a decision very similar to that one, and that decision's not quite as simple as I made mine out to be. Well, today I get to talk to someone who understands the ins and outs of making that decision, the pros and cons, and that is Mike Daskalopoulos. Mike is the Director for Strategic Platform Technology at ScreenBeam. Mike, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing quite well. I bet you're laughing at my example there. Um, my decision to go, you know, straight wireless, I mean, eh, whatever, you know. Save me a couple of bucks here, a couple of bucks there. Um, do me a favor. Let's start off with... You walk in and a client needs a list of pros and cons. What are some of the considerations a company has to observe from the very beginning when they're starting to make the decision to go wireless? Well, great question. And, you know, again, I think you have to look at wireless holistically because wireless affects, first of all, wireless spectrum is huge. I mean, we have everything from what we call DC to daylight and everything in between. And what that really means is that spectrum is allocated for different uses. Uh, and uh, any organization, whatever they're doing, has to look at what the spectrum usage is uh, and what uh, they're actually trying to achieve. Um, you know, in particular, I think it's important to understand uh, that when you have competing uh, devices within a spectrum, especially what is called unlicensed spectrum, uh, which is the most commonly used, uh, that's where it starts getting a little dicey. And, and so, you know, and a great example of this is what we call the 2.4 gigahertz band. And so there's lots of stuff going on there. And, you know, uh, you have Wi-Fi, you have, um, you know, Bluetooth. There, there's lots of other devices, even wireless cameras, frankly. Uh, they're all kind of allowed use of that. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, you have to think about uh, what is being used, what the range of it is, and, you know, what kind of availability you need, whether it's real-time or intermittent or such. And, and, and on and on it goes for all the uh, frequencies you're going to use. So I think that's, uh, from, from that perspective, uh, very important. And then again, you know, getting into the other aspect of it is, uh, you know, what kind of availability you need. And uh, in that respect, uh, you know, certain applications uh, such as wireless video or, you know, voice over IP uh, have more stringent requirements because of the, the nature of the type of connection that they are, uh, particularly when you start replacing uh, what are traditionally cabled uh, equivalents with them. Let's talk about 4K projectors. That's that's one of your areas of expertise as a subject matter sort of guru. Um, what I guess it was probably 10, maybe 15 years ago, 4K projectors uh, just had a massive trunk of cables. 4K over wireless, that was ridiculous. Nobody was even thinking about that. Talk to me about that evolution and some of the benefits and challenges that come along with an evolution like that. Sure. So, you know, you look at 
uh, Infocom 2004. That's the first Infocom that I went to, and I believe it was that year when uh, Sony introduced their uh, their SXRD 4K projector. We were all kind of wowed by it. They were actually showing, I believe, uh, a geo mapping application uh, because there there was no uh, 4K movie content, video content like that really at that time. So uh, you know, and they had this bundle of SDI uh, cables connected to it. And again, as you you say, I mean, this is something that just didn't really, uh, you know, compute for a lot of people. It's just like, we have this new thing, uh, you know, 4K video, we have it in HD, and, uh, you know, and now it's moving to 4K. I mean, what are we doing with all this? What are the applications? How are we using this? You know, you fast forward, you know, 15 years, and all of a sudden, uh, there are folks who are actually doing this completely wirelessly from consumer devices. So, you know, the displays have come down in price. The computing power for the dollar has, you know, uh, gone up tremendously. Uh, you know, the standards have come into place. And I think it's the confluence of all of those things that has made wireless display, for example, uh, particularly, you know, wireless video replacement of HDMI cables, uh, really possible uh, within the enterprise and other applications as well. First ridiculous question of the interview, probably not the last one. Have you ever been in a situation where you deemed it necessary to tell a client wireless is not the right move for you at this time? I think it comes down to more about, you know, you have to make a hard choice. And, you know, there are folks who have, especially in the Wi-Fi and the unlicensed bands, the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands, they're very overused, especially 2.4. There isn't actually a lot of uh, room uh, for, you know, all the devices that people would like to do. So, you know, sometimes it means making hard policy choices. And you will see this in some organizations. They say you can't bring in unlicensed devices. Uh, you may even see it in hospitals, for example, where for safety reasons, you you know, they say turn off Bluetooth or turn off your, your phone or something like that or turn off Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, if it's really that mission critical, it can come down to that. Uh, and again, those are just hard choices. And it's just a choice. It's not, say, it's a black and white thing. And some organizations, to your point, will actually uh, choose not to put in the more convenient thing and, uh, you know, and focus on the basics. And that's really, you know, what it's about is really understanding the core of what's most important to you uh, within the capabilities of your devices and then uh, moving outward until you reach that hard wall. Is bandwidth the greatest hurdle to advancement in the field? It seems like that's such a, it's crazy to say, but bandwidth is a finite thing. It's not unlimited. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, the FCC and other regulatory agencies around the world uh, have, at least for the most part, standardized uh, in terms of Wi-Fi, uh, you know, where they want it and how it's, uh, they call it, channelized. You can't just be at any random frequency, of course. And I think uh, the interesting part about that is, is that it's not just about the channels that are there, uh, you know, and are available for public use. It also has a lot to do with the, uh, what they call the coding methods that they use. Uh, to make more efficient use of the, that, that channel spectrum, that little that slice of that spectrum. And so if you look at, for example, uh, the original 802.11a, 802.11b, it's much, much less efficient for any given channel that it uses relative to, say, uh, the current uh, standard, which is 802.11ac. And, uh, you know, it, you get much more bandwidth for that channel. So there's advancements in the technology. Uh, you know, in addition, you have uh, other advancements uh, like multiple input, multiple output that allow uh, with, you know, uh, more than one antenna. We've seen these Wi-Fi routers that have these crazy antennas. They look like uh, spaceships. I mean, this is 
you know, the real reason for that is because they can actually beamform and direct uh, the uh, Wi-Fi signal uh, to the devices more accurately. So it, it results in less interference anyway than, you know, say uh, a straight up vertical antenna, which, you know, goes everywhere. Uh, and is, as, as we like to call it in the amateur radio, which is one of my other uh, passions, uh, equally bad in all directions. So, you know, again, the idea is, is that you don't just make use of the spectrum you, uh, you know, in a more efficient manner. You also uh, use other technology enhancements uh, to, uh, again, uh, make that uh, less interfering with other uh, parts of your uh, organization or adjacent devices. And of course, you know, the ever increasing march towards more efficient video, you know, where we, you know, back 20 years ago, we were l lucky to have MPEG-2 video, which was what they used in uh, DVDs. Uh, now we're at, uh, you know, we're using HEVC and AV-1 video, which is, you know, uh, an order of magnitude practically better than what we had back then. So all of these factors, you know, again, come into play in terms of the efficient use of spectrum. Now, as these companies do have to make this tough decision that you mentioned, one decision that's not tough is the absolute critical nature of collaboration when coming up with these solutions. This is not something that it is smart to try and just figure out on your own. You definitely need a team of people who know what they're doing to work in collaboration to come up with the proper solutions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it's really interesting as, you know, again, technology has marched forward. I mean, you know, we used to be at a point in time where, you know, people would have, you know, flip charts and pens, uh, and then we had whiteboards, and then, you know, to the point today where now we have, you know, touch displays in uh, large form factors that are relatively inexpensive, at least, you know, as compared to what they were, you know, uh, even just a handful of years ago. And the idea about, you know, collaboration, you have to think about uh, how do you bring to people efficiently together to uh, work, you know, and it's funny because, uh, Peter Drucker, the management guru, once said, people either meet or they work. And the, the take that I have on that is people should meet and work together. And I think uh, technology is not the solution to that, but it is the facilitator uh, for that uh, within an organization. And again, uh, each organization has to understand how its employees uh, interact with technology and interact with, more importantly, with each other in order to make the best use of it. Because not every solution will be, uh, you know, uh, a Swiss army knife for them. I mean, you, you need to have the right solution for your problem specifically. I'm glad you bring up the work slash meet uh, paradigm because work and meeting spaces in corporate America are really starting to change. The concept of, I don't know, a huddle room or um, some uh, mobile meetings is really starting to become uh, the favored way to be the most efficient in these, uh, in these gatherings. And it seems that meeting spaces with cables they just, it's its just a bad idea. It seems like wireless is definitely the best way to get everybody on the same page, especially people who may not be able to be in the same room. Yeah, and, and again, we've seen that revolution. I mean, we've seen uh, unified collaboration systems, unified communication systems where, of course, you know, people from anywhere in the world can participate, have a video feed, you can share uh, your desktop, share material, you can collaborate, uh, you can talk about the same thing because you're all on the same page. You know, even just a handful of years ago, it was 
literally just a, I'm listening in and geez, I'm trying to imagine what is actually there on that whiteboard or on that table or whatever it happens to be. Uh, you know, and even just to be able to see the expressions on somebody's face to say, hey, you know, are they, uh, you know, mad, happy, sad, you know, because a lot of communication is, of course, uh, nonverbal. In fact, the majority of it is. So I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the idea of being wireless and, and having that, I mean, is multifaceted. And I think it really is, uh, you know, a, a huge boon to uh, the type of uh, workspaces, the type of, uh, you know, com the type of workplaces that, you know, are non-traditional, like home offices or, you know, offices where, you know, you, you walk in, they're shared spaces, so you don't know which cube you're going to get in a particular day. And, and it's this kind of, uh, you know, uh, idea that I think really makes the idea of wireless that much more attractive uh, to the, uh, you know, to the folks that are actually using technology. What is something that you do with on a daily basis that would be really surprising to most people? You know, it's, I read a lot of technology news. I've been involved in technology since, you know, the first thing I can remember. I was involved in my family business, you know, uh, from a very early age. I grew up with it. Uh, I grew up programming. I, I mean, I grew up around consumer electronics. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been in this industry since forever. And the, the thing that I think sometimes that I almost want to feel like I want to do is, is just kind of unplug personally from all of it. And I say that because, you know, there's a real world out there. And I think uh, in that respect, you know, we, we really need to make sure that we keep the human element in place, if, if you will, because I think uh, technology can also be a very isolating thing. And we've seen that increasingly, particularly with social media. You know, uh, people will tweet something and then delete it, or they'll tweet something and they regret it, and some employer sees it, and they're forever marked with a scarlet letter. You know, um, and again, just as I was saying even, you know, uh, previously, uh, you know, a lot of communication is nonverbal. So you can't tell what this person is, is saying or, or doing. I think, you know, um, to the point of it, we need to kind of keep that human element within technology. Uh, otherwise, uh, I don't know what, you know, what uh, communication becomes, what, uh, what we become. So I, I try to unplug as much as possible. I think that's probably the surprising thing. As much as I do everything day in, day out, and not just to de-stress or to not have to make important decisions, which I'm always tasked to do, it's, it's more about uh, just to feel, you know, that, uh, that things are real, you know, rather than uh, I'm just uh, some element in some uh, big technology or uh, machine, if it, as you were. If you go on vacation, how many days can you stand being completely off the grid before it starts to get a little itchy? Depends on where I am. So, you know, if I pick my favorite vacation, which is, uh, you know, kind of beach and outdoorsy, I can unplug for quite a long time. Uh, I actually don't have, I mean, weeks at a time if I need to. Um, you know, the main issue is really about safety. This is, so this is the funny part, right? So, you know, uh, 20 years ago, if we had a cell phone, we weren't staring at our cell phones, you know, reading news, uh, looking at, uh, you know, Twitter feeds, doing, you know, texting with people, doing all that. It was just a phone and it was just there. And when we wanted to communicate with somebody, that was it. Or when they wanted to communicate with us, they let us know. Otherwise, it was kind of just tucked out of the way. I think other, you know, really, that would be the only thing I would really miss other than, because it, it is actually, I think, fundamental to, uh, you know, uh, safety, for example, in certain cases, like if you get into an accident somewhere. Uh, other than that, honestly, it doesn't really bother me. And I think, you know, there, there'll be plenty of opportunity for me to catch up when I'm 
you know, back home, you know, absent some kind of, uh, you know, crazy catastrophic event in a, in a region or something like that. Having worked in technology as long as you have, you've seen different technologies sort of uh, blend and combine with all these different competitors, and they finally agree on a standard. And you mentioned federal standards as far as bandwidth, uh, radio frequencies. It seems that everybody has agreed on a standard for something, Um, HDMI for video or uh, USB, um, uh, RJ45 Ethernet cables, but it seems like wireless display isn't quite there yet. If you got to be the boss for a day and you got to bring everybody together from all the different protocols for wireless display, what are a couple of things that you would want to get across to them to make the case for let's all get on one standard? Well, I think the number one thing I would say is focus on the user experience. And the user experience is of necessity heterogeneous because as much as, you know, somebody would like to buy into an Apple world, Apple doesn't sell televisions. You know, as much as somebody would like to buy into a, uh, you know, a Samsung world, uh, they they don't make, uh, you know, uh, PCs that, uh, for example, have creative software that's available on Mac OS, you know, because there's a lot of folks that do that. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a heterogeneity that uh, the manufacturers have to reconcile, and they already have in most cases. And I would tell them, look, you, you folks have to come up with a, a standard to, you know, uh, replace the cables in, uh, you know, the wired cables and go wireless in terms of display, and, and for audio as well. And, and again, uh, because the environment is currently heterogeneous, you have the Miracast protocol, which is supported on uh, Windows and some Android devices, and you have a- AirPlay on Apple devices, and you have Google Cast on Chromebooks and, and some other Android devices. I mean, you can't make heads or tails of it. It just makes everybody's life miserable. I think, you know, focus on that user experience and, and focus, and, you know, with the caveat that I know that they love keeping people in their ecosystem, but at the at the end of the day, if that was that important, then you know why do you why do you standardize on 802.11 wireless or you know or HDMI for video or USB-C for uh, video and and uh, charging? You know, it, I mean, they have to they have to be real about it across the board, and I don't think they have come to that yet. Without giving away something information that might get you or me in trouble, do you have a specific project? that you were able to be a part of that you're just especially proud of that you could tell me a little bit about? Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate in my career to have, uh, you know, participated in in several of those. Uh, You know, when, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I got my start, uh, uh, after I finished my master's degree, uh, I I went to work at LSI Logic, and we developed uh, the first generation of uh, uh, HP Procurve switch chips, we called that project Infinity, which I laugh because uh, never call a project Infinity. It will live up to its name. But, you know, through all the trials and tribulations we had, um, you know, uh, Hewlett Packard sold billions and billions of dollars of, uh, of switches that went everywhere in the world. And, you know, and it really, uh, you know, helped, uh, you know, revolutionize the, the connectivity, that, the kind of connectivity that we see today in enterprises and elsewhere. And I think, um, you know, that's one of my, I think my, proudest projects that I've uh, participated in and the, but but more recently you know um, you know uh, having worked at Dolby laboratories doing uh, you know have ha- getting uh, multi-channel audio and Dolby digital plus uh, going you know there that was 
you know, where it's available in all those services now. But, but you know, I think, uh, and again, because I currently work at ScreenBeam, um, it, this project kind of came out of nowhere. And when I saw it and I had talked to the, the management here, I really wanted to join. So, you know, uh, I, I, I kind of explored it. And, and now when I look at what ScreenBeam uh, is and, and what it's capable of, uh, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of a, a, a dream product for me. Uh, you know, I, I can't take, you know, even most of the credit that goes to our engineering team who is so phenomenally uh, hardworking and talented to, to have brought out what they have, uh, you know, with our latest products. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's just having something that's so universal, so easy to use. Uh, and, and I think that that's real. and again, goes back to my point is that if, you know, if it's not as simple and easy to use, you, you know, technology becomes, it's, it's, you know, uh, the, the purpose rather than the uh, vehicle for, uh, you know, a greater purpose, which is basically to collaborate and, uh, and, and to kind of free yourself of wires. And, and that's really what uh, I think we did uh, with our latest products here. Being the curious person that I am, I would not be able to live with myself if I let you go without asking you to give me a, just a couple of the high points of screen being. Yeah, so we we launched a ScreenBeam 1100 um, as a no apps 4K uh, multi-network uh, you know touch capable solution, and and what's really unique about this is that um, you know at the Infocom show uh, the fo there were lots of folks uh, who had you know different touch solutions, different whiteboards, uh, but unless you had a PC attached to it, um, really the only other way to do it you know, intuitively, and I, what I mean intuitively is like, use all the apps that you're familiar with, like Microsoft Office apps and things like that, which are, you know, mostly in use in, in uh, commercial and enterprise applications, that, you know, it just becomes so seamless and easy to use. And, uh, you know, and that's the front side of the story. That's the user story, which is really important because, you know, I don't want a lot of training. I don't want a lot of hassle. I, I just want to be able to connect, uh, you know, uh, get my work done with my colleagues and, and you know, move forward. You know, the backside of that story is uh, the folks who are implementing, you know, these uh, all the Pro AV equipment and, in particular, wireless presentation systems. And and what makes ScreenBeam unique in that regard is that you know we're able to handle you know guest and employee networks uh, in very complex configurations uh, in a in a fairly simple manner. Uh, and even the cases where you know. Uh, sometimes the pro AV and IT folks don't talk. We can still provide a solution which is fully isolated from a network yet uh, still provides all the core functionality that's needed uh, for exactly that kind of uh, collaboration, you know, and across multiple devices. And I think that's the really cool thing is that you kind of forget it. As I was saying before, you forget about the technology and you kind of focus on your purpose. And I think that's really the, the fundamental essence of ScreenBeam. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Today, it has been my pleasure to have a conversation with Michael Daskalopoulos, the director of the Strategic Platform Technology at ScreenBeam. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time today. This is really cool. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. It was my pleasure as well.